Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. We are coming to you following Everton's 3-1 defeat at home at Goodison Park to a buzzsaw-esque Manchester City side. James here, joined as always by Ryan. Let's start with the good news, Ryan. First things first, we do have some news that broke today. Very exciting in relation to the North American Everton Supporters Club. So Hummel have revealed a partnership with said North American Everton supporters clubs to create custom merchandise for the clubs that will have their emblem on the chest rather than the traditional Everton logo. Um, 28 supporters clubs across North America are involved. It seems to be predominantly in the United States for the time being, but as the work of the fans forum goes on and more groups are established throughout the continent, I'm sure that that will continue to grow. Why are we bagging um, on Nova Scotia, man? Don't leave them uh, hanging out there. Come I'm on. Sorry. I'm Nova sorry. Nova Scotia, I, we got your back, buddy. Oh, Canada. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and of course, I know all the words of that, too, but that's what happens when you go to hockey games growing up. But yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> Look at all these things. It's over on um, soccer.com slash Everton. Go check it out. Um, you see everyone's logo on there, and you're going to see like a polo, a T-shirt. And dude, some of the hoodies and the track jacket in particular, Hamez was mentioning about, Looks pretty slick. I'm not going to lie to you. The stuff looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's great stuff. And furthermore, 10% of all of the sales worldwide will go to Everton in the community, as well as $1 to EITC for every item sold. So obviously supporting the ethos and mission of the club, giving back to the community, allowing for Everton to continue all the great work that they do within the city of Liverpool and any other initiatives they have going on uh, abroad, potentially in the future. So really exciting an interesting and I think really unique development and something that I don't think would have been possible if not for Everton's partnership with a brand like Hummel. Yeah. I think also a lot of kudos go to Tony Sampson yes. as part of the fans forum too. Um, we refer to him as captain America, of course, the man who, <laughs> <laughs> the man who coined the phrase um, Everton is America's club. Uh, no, but Tony deserves a lot of credit as well too. And look, the supporters are all banding together and um, we take a lot of pride here on, the American Toffee podcast of uh, kind of helping facilitate some of that. And uh, we know the power of the groups together. Um, and I'm just really excited too, you know, as we start to move out of hopefully the COVID environment to get out and mingle with some of the guys too. You know, I've really enjoyed my interactions with the supporter clubs and Hey guys, look, and girls, as things are happening, whatever's going on, if you guys have events and I know we've done some of that in the past, we want to hear from you, you know, uh, we want to continue to build the, the community. I mean, that's that's a big part of what we're trying to do here on the American Toffee podcast. And uh, Hamez and I have really dedicated a lot of time to trying to bring those things to light. And we'd appreciate more and more interaction. I think we get a lot of it on social media, but we want to bring more of it to the pod. Most definitely. And I know that the fans forum, Tony and the supporters groups have a lot of other exciting things in the works. So stay tuned. We hope to have Tony on the show very soon. Tony, if you're listening. Give me a call. Let's chat. We were supposed to chat last week. Didn't happen. But yeah, some great things in the works and continuing um, the 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 ongoing, I guess, synthesis and uh, co- uh, I don't know what the word is, but just getting all the supporters groups coherently working together towards common goals and, and building the bonds even stronger. 
Now, with that said, uh, Ryan, we do have to discuss, unfortunately, the match today. Do we? Uh, we do. That's why we're here, first and foremost. Break down the match for all the listeners out there. It was an ugly one, to say the least. Uh, I'll go over to you first for your instant match reaction. Um, you know, there are only so many ways that you can say bad. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 to be perfectly honest, I saw a lot of takes afterwards that City are just a buzzsaw and very good. Um, I actually don't think that they were very good early in the match or else we would have been down a little earlier. Uh, we hung in there a little bit, but honestly, we we're just totally outclassed and some of the injuries didn't help. Uh, neither did some of the personnel decisions again, but we'll get to that instant reaction. James. Yeah. I mean, look, you can't say that sh- sure city weren't at their best today, but not at their best is still far better than I think what Everton put forth and given the game plan and how we set up, it seemed like we were trying to be very pragmatic in our approach, knowing that we wouldn't have very much of the ball and Early on, it looked like it may kind of work, but it started to all kind of disintegrate later on in the second half. And look, it, I think this kind of sums it up quite nicely. Manchester City had four players in the match with more than 100 touches. Everton's highest was 57, and that was Jordan Pickford. The highest outfield player, most touches was Michael Keane with 50. So shows the disparity in possession and yeah, I mean, I'll call, I'll call City a buzzsaw. They're on an unbelievable, historically unprecedented tear in terms of consecutive victories, and we just kind of fell right in their path today, and and they made us look bad, as you said, Ryan. There's only so many ways you can say it. Yeah, and then kind of looking at the lineups, too, are pretty interesting. Um, you know, Everton's lineup, it's pretty obvious, I think, how we were going to set up when it was announced. Yeah, look, we went with the... What had been, up until this point, fairly successful back line of the four center backs, Mason Holgate, Michael Keane, Ben Godfrey, Yuri Mina, and then putting Luca Dean further up at like a left mid position, playing a Wobie on the right, DeCore and Davies centrally, central defensively, Sigurdsson in front of them. We'll talk about that at length as we, yeah, we will. show. And then you got Rich Arlison leading the line up top in place of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um bit of a thankless task for him today but in theory i thought that that was kind of how we probably had to set up we had hamas on the bench we had no sign of allen which was interesting presumably being rest for the derby same with dominic calvert lewin no sign of him um and we had just a jordan pickford returning to the side as well which i guess is worth a mention yeah i understand the pragmatism in it you know it was it's not a crazy way to set up you know it just didn't Game just didn't really go our way. Um, and then Manchester City, uh, no massive surprises. I mean, De Bruyne is still on the bench. Laporte was in for for John Stones, which is kind of interesting. You know, he thought maybe Stones would get queued up to face his old club, and Stones have been playing pretty well for him. And then just kind of looking at the tactical setup, you know, it's a typical Pep Guardiola side where you saw a lot of possession in the wide areas of the pitch, you know, a lot of swinging the ball back and forth. And it's just really hard. I mean, you know, the sad part is as much as you want us to win, I mean, you got to admire a little bit of some of the movements. So if you're looking at average player position and just the way they attack in the final third, it's pretty clinical. You know, little triangles on either side, too. You've got Mares really with with Walker over there teamed up with Bernardo Silva. I mean, that's a pretty nasty combination, right? Uh, Walker cutting inside a lot. Mares was going out wide so he could cut in on his left. Then on the other side, you had Phil Foden, who's been on fire recently teaming up with Sterling, kind of trying to run in behind and uh, supported by Cancelo. And then 
You got Rodri bossing things in the middle. He was very good today. And uh, Gabriel Jesus was kind of back and forth uh, playing a little bit back to goal, a couple times running in behind and their movement's just really difficult to stop. Yeah. Look, they're an unbelievable side. They're well-drilled. They understand what their objectives are, what their patterns of play should look like. Yeah. There's a reason that they've been as good as they have been for so long. And the reason there's a reason they're on the tear they are. And, and frankly, the fact that they can sit Sergio Aguero, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, all of these guys on their bench and look no weaker than they would with them. It says a lot about just like where they are in terms of the Manchester City project versus where Everton are, where we're badly missing some key players at the moment. Um, but then in terms of our setup, I mean, I think it was pretty clear. We wanted to, to be pretty compact, try to close down the middle somewhat and just sort of wait for our moment to break. And I think we saw a little bit of that early trying to hit them with speed on the counterattack. But I actually thought they did a pretty good job neutralizing that and finding balance, keeping guys defensively well-positioned and, and kind of stymieing any sort of chances we had to break. It ended up being a lot of long balls into empty space to no one, uh, just in a desperate attempt to clear the ball and, and relieve some of the pressure that we were under from almost minute one to minute 90. It, it is disappointing to not be with Dominic Calvert-Lewin because I do think he presents a matchup problems problem for them. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, they have some I mean, Ruben Diaz is a strong guy, but I think for the most part, those guys are out there. They're good with the ball. They're somewhat athletic. Um, and I think Dom really is a problem. And he's been an outlet for us. You know, we're not quite in the position we need to be, I think, in terms of holding, possessing, and building up from the back. We're missing a couple key players still. So I think that's part of the issue. Um, that being said, I mean, we did try and stay compact. I actually thought our right side D was pretty good. I, I, I thought they did a very good job. Like I said, Foden came into this game on fire. I think we stymied him pretty well. Um, he did score, but it was off a deflection. We'll get to that in a second. Um, for the most part, Cancelo got a lot of ball ball touches and didn't do too much with it. Coleman did a decent job on Sterling, too. It really was not overly effective. But, God, then to be able to have that other side where Mares and Bernardo Silva with Jesus and Walker were just – they were just madness on us. It was very difficult to stop. And I guess, you know, look, that's why they're a, they're a great side. Um you know, before we get into the timeline, too, I mean, I think there's some interesting pieces of feedback in terms of where most of the game was played, and it's not good for Everton. No, not at all. I mean, so 38% of the match was played in our defensive third, 45 in the middle third, and just 17 in Manchester City's And it felt that way. And given the disparity in possession, I think it just speaks volumes about things that we've talked about wanting to see from Everton in the past. And that is the ability to possess sustained possession of the ball in dangerous areas. And I think that's where Manchester city showed tremendous discipline and their ability to just kind of make, be patient, move the ball around in a day, consistently posing a threat, not just moving the ball around between their center backs, hoping to kind of shift the defense and then play it over the top. They really just move. They have the triangles, quick passing, clever movement, and they're in no rush to really get shots off until they see an opportunity and they're willing to strike very quickly and with just an amazing amount of uh, uh, potent players that they have that can just create something out of nothing. Yeah, they have tremendous talent. And, and But I think another underrated aspect of it, too, is because they're very balanced in terms of what they do, they don't really need to overload and they push up their fullbacks so high 
the second they lose the ball, they're in really good positions to counter press. And, and that's part of, that's a hallmark of, of a pep team. And, and we didn't necessarily fare very well with it. You're right. We dumped it into empty space. So without further ado, kind of let's get into the timeline. Uh, really the most important thing that happened up front was Yerry Mina going down in the 18th minute. I, I thought that was disappointing. That being said, I don't think we looked phenomenally organized necessarily either at that point. Uh, in fact, if anything, I felt like Man City was just a little off in terms of their ruthlessness, in terms of attacking us. I know a lot of people thought we were very good. I, I don't know. I saw some space in there and some gaps between lines. But again, to their credit, some of it was was on them. Um, but they eventually did break through in the 32nd minute on a, uh, I mean, a, you know, a pretty clinical type, type of goal um, where, you know, we were just mixed up, uh, kind of came back out and, we weren't very well organized and it broke out to Foden. And unfortunately he kind of put one in that were, def that was deflected off Seamus. Yeah. I mean, Seamus does an okay job closing down. He doesn't get really close to Foden, but he's positioned in terms of where his body's at fairly centrally in terms of trying to block the goal, but his legs are a little bit wide. It takes a wicked deflection. And this is where, you know, we'll talk about Jordan Pickford probably specifically later, but I, really nothing he can do. It's, it's a crazy deflection. And he actually reads, I think, the initial shot quite well. Yeah. But he just left with nothing he can do after it sends it basically in the opposite direction off the deflection. I feel like Pick's instincts today looked pretty good at times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he seemed to be take he takes some risks sometimes in his positioning, but I think they were the right ones. He was a little unlucky today. Does Sigerson need to overplay Mares more so he takes away that first option? I know, I know I tweeted this, and I know it's very difficult because Mares is a world-class player. Uh, anyone wants to argue that with me, go for it. You, I don't. I think you're wrong. He is a world-class player. Um, but he does, you know, he'd prefer to come off his left the whole time. And you've, you almost have to take that away from him. I'm not saying he can't go right at all, but if you don't take it away, good luck. He's going to be serving it right, you know, serving it from the left the whole time. I feel like he has to do better, but, I mean, Gilfie's not really the most agile guy. You know, I get it, but I don't know. It's 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 good service. Kind of got bounced out. It was a little bit unlucky, but it was kind of coming. It was coming, yeah. I, I mean, you can only stop the the flow for so long before they're eventually going to break through. And and really, I think the question being asked was, well, where are the goals going to come from? And turns out, just a few short minutes later, just over five minutes later, the goal came from a really neat little bit of buildup play from Everton looked like we were finally able to, uh, and really our first meaningful chance of the game. And uh, Sigurdsson plays it to a Wobi who makes what seems to be a really easy pass, but is actually really clever in that he slides it right into Seamus Coleman, who's positioned quite well. Seamus does a really good job to receive it. Yes. Turn and little lobbed cross to the far post. Luca Dean rips a shot. I think that was our first shot of the game comes off the post to Richarlison who got pretty fortunate, but right back off his thigh and in the back of the net and we're level and it's like, okay, game on, let's play. Yeah. I love scoring with all sorts of different body parts, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was fortunate. Um, Sigurdsson deserves a little credit for kind of flicking back a header and winning it. And I think we got enough people up and, and we're supported well where we could kind of put a little pressure and win a couple of those balls. Yeah, it was a nice little play by Awobi, but I think Seamus deserves a lot of credit for kind of looking over his shoulder, backing into space in the 18, receiving it perfectly on his left foot to play it forward immediately over to his right and floating the ball up. I know he's not the greatest crosser of the ball, but that was tricky. It was a good combination play. And once that happens, you're thinking, 
wow, game on, you know, and now we can kind of go back to playing our game again. And who knows how long that can last. And sure enough, it got all the way to halftime, still one, one. Um, it looked like maybe we were settling into the match a little bit more, but you had to know coming out of halftime that Pep was going to have something dialed up. I was a little concerned too, because Richarlison got a yellow in that 40. Yeah. I did want to talk about the yellow. I, I mean, I, I thought it was a ridiculous sequence of play for him to get the foul call was ludicrous. You yeah. can't kick the ball away that way. I think that's pretty much what he got the yellow for. He was very fired up. I appreciate his fiery nature, uh, but man, I had these terrible visions of him getting a red card and being out for the Derby. Yeah, I did too. And it was, it was obviously purely a frustration yellow because he's, Asked to do the typically Dominic Calvert-Lewin-esque thankless task of trying to relieve some pressure and be yeah. that outlet and win balls in the air and back down defenders, which is by no means his strong suit. And he was clearly frustrated, feeling like he was getting bodied by city center halves because, frankly, he was. Yep. And there were a couple times where he was fouled and should have got it, but I think there were a couple times where he went down a bit easily. Um, but immediately preceding the yellow was a clear foul and been shocking that he didn't get it. And so I like to see the fire and the passion from Richarlison because as some pointed out to me on Twitter is he's, he's, I think it was Tim uh, bridal. He is more effective. I think when he has that edge to his game and that, that fire kind of in his belly, but he's still so young. And sometimes I think he lets his uh, emotions get the best of him still. I thought he did really well against Diaz today. I mean, really, I think he did. He backed into him. He was very smart. You know, he didn't cry. And Dom has that kind of early quick leap and he always gets his head on stuff. Richie was backing right into him and putting a body into him and trying to create space for himself and actually receive the ball a couple of times. Yeah, he was fouled constantly. That's the other thing about Richarlison. I mean, he gets fouled constantly. You could say he goes down sometimes early, but he's not constantly getting kicked. So, yeah, I was concerned about that kind of going into halftime. What I, I was just kind of curious how we would respond. At half. And I also figured, all right, look, one of our subs are gone. You know, eventually we can maybe make some changes here. Um, and sure enough, kind of halftime came on and, and, you know, things didn't look a whole lot better. Um, and, you know, over time, City kind of built up. And sure enough, in the 63rd, uh, City scored again. This one's a really tricky one. I don't really know who to necessarily blame on that defensively. Something that's worth noting is it seems like ever since the Tom Davies, Andre Gomes def defensive midfield pairing that one, I still don't know how uh, we've been more kind of almost matching up more in man type defenses, less zonal stuff, less passing people along in zones. And I think this is one where, you know, Dean and Tom Davies, Dean has to pass the player on to Tom Davies. It was very strange. You know, it's kind of like Mares came rolling around behind from Bernardo Silva's right behind him to the left, setting up on his left foot. Now, Tom Davies is, is in essence, man marking Bernardo Silva at that point. But Dean is on his left. So when Mahrez rolls around, they either have to switch or Dean has to follow the player. The switch is probably the right thing. Tom should have probably recognized it and jumped over to the right. But it's a tough thing to, to defend. And I mean, is anyone going to argue with that finish? No, I mean, look, I hate that this show is already becoming kind of like praising City. But it is sometimes you just have to tip your cap. And this was a goal where you absolutely have to do that. Yeah, we could have done better. But it is an unbelievable finish. Not a chance in the world that Jordan Pickford gets anywhere near that. Yeah, and I, and I think it is. It's a really clever bit of movement because you don't often see that type of like 
like overlapping shoulder, almost like a screen. And it's like a basketball play, like the point guard, you know, he goes out wide and kind of bodies the guy with the ball. Very clever play. Yeah. And it makes you make a decision. And that's a lot of what their movement does out wide. I mean, you've got either pass players wrong or stick with them. And I mean, the finish, James, I mean, I mean, come on. That's that's probably one of the best goals I've seen scored against us all season. Maybe one of the best in the league this season so far. Full credit to Mara's uh, sensational goal. And again, one that you can't even really be mad at because it's like, how much better could we really have done? It was a, a wonder strike on like probably an XG of like what point? Oh, it was it was low. I'm three. sure the post shot one was really high, though. I mean, no goalie's really going to probably touch that one. Um, I think what was disappointing, though, at that point is, I mean, look, we didn't have a single shot from the 54th minute on. So at that point, you're thinking, OK, they score. Let's make some changes. We're going to have to change up tactics a little bit. So what was the response in the 69th minute? Hamas, please explain this one to me, because when I saw these subs, I just I, I, I don't get it. It's a head scratcher for the second match in a row, Ryan. I mean, Again, not to criticize or like question the competence of Carlo Ancelotti, but it's just two matches in a row where the subs don't really seem to give you what you would be looking for in this match. You bring on, you take off Alex Awobi, who was, I think, our most, looked our most likely player to create something significant with the ball at his feet, which is desperately what we needed. And you bring on James. Okay, well, that I that I can understand. But you take off Tom Davies to bring on Josh King and... You'll leave Gilfie Sigurdsson on, who until that point in the match had had a couple okay passes in the final third. And yes, he runs around a lot, but it, it just baffles me the the degree of lenience that he gets from every single manager since he's arrived. It's something that like the collective fan base as a whole are just it's going over our heads. There's something we're too dumb to understand because it just there's no way you can explain it. He's been so consistently mediocre to bad. Uh, he had that decent little run of games. But if you're taking off Gilfie to bring on Hamas, that makes much more sense because Hamas can then play centrally. Maybe you're worried about the, the ability to pressure guys off the ball, but Gilfie hadn't shown much of that either. He was chasing shadows for most of the game. So it just it's very frustrating. And then from that point on, there was just nothing. We created absolutely nothing. And so the subs... The one reason you make those subs is to hopefully create a goal, and we don't even come close to doing that. No, I think the one one stat I had was at that point the tackles were thirteen to six in favor of Everton. Again, that's that's a byproduct of them having the ball. So I'm not. But so we bring the subs in, and the possession didn't change at all. We didn't put any more pressure on them, even though they were in the lead. And actually, the tackles Man City out tackled us from the subs on five to four. The rest of the way with no change in possession. How? That's, in, that's inexcusable to me. I mean, the bottom line is I can't understand why Carlo thinks that those two guys can play together. I mean, basically it made it so much easier for them because we had no one to dispossess them of the ball. I mean, DeCorey had to be looking around saying, I am literally twice as fast as both of the guys playing in midfield with me. What am I supposed to be doing here? It, it made it made no sense to me whatsoever. Guilty Sigurdsson to his credit, had a great game against Spurs. But when is Carlo going to learn this? He's he's not he's not good enough, man. He's just not. Look, he can have some moments with the ball at his feet, and I appreciate that. But I think I think there was a, a point in the match today that summarizes Gilfrey Sigurdsson perfectly. Alex Awobi had the ball fairly deep, made a dribble, cut into space, played what I thought was an excellent pass right to Gilfie, in essence, at the top of the 18, like the most dangerous place you can get a ball. Pep 
I'm surprised didn't lose his mind about that. That's literally his little zone that he marks out for everyone when if people know how he kind of divides up the pitch. And Gilfie, I mean, it was a very good pass. It was barely behind him at all. Any player easily adjusts the ball, catches it immediately. He flops backwards, barely catches it, looks totally off balance, has a shot that gets deflected. It was so painful. I mean, when he's in there, you're basically conceding possession because it is, you have to be so incredibly precise because of his lack of agility and lack of proper movement and spacing. I, I just think he's a team killer. And I, I cannot understand that. That's one thing. But then have him and Hamas play together. Have we not learned? Did we not watch the match last time? I can't explain it. It's very frustrating for me. And, you know, matching that up with the rumors we had, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago of possibly extending Gilfie. I, I don't, the only thing, the only thing that makes me feel decent about this going forward is knowing that Marcel Brands had him supposedly out the door to Al-Halal this summer. And Gilfie's the one that came in and said, no, no, I don't want to leave yet. I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for that. You know, it's not like he's a completely worthless player, but I, I just, it hurts you in so many different ways. And I don't, I, I don't want to rant on this too much longer, but I don't understand it. And by the way, not remotely surprised that eight minutes later in the 75th minute, 77th minute, Man City goes up 3-1 uh, on what, by the way, fantastic group, you know, fantastic kind of sequence of interplay. But it was coming, you know, it's coming. I mean, I can't believe you bring subs in and you look like you have less energy. Like, say what you want about Tom Davies, a little sloppy with the ball times today, but he took initiative. He had some courage. Um, you know, it's just disappointing. Yeah, look, it was it was another pretty well-worked goal. You had Kyle Walker into Riyad Mahrez, who flicks it to Gabriel Jesus, to Bernardo Silva at the top of the box, who gives Michael Keane a little hesitation, oh, freezes him, and then buries the shot. And we had uh, Michael McEwen in our post-match reaction thread at Mick, uh, Mikey Shoeholes, excuse me. He said, Keane looked pretty suspect on Bernardo Silva's goal, basically asked him to skip by and take the shot on. Ryan, you felt differently. Well, yeah. I mean, that was that was a pretty nice, nice, nice little move. Um, I was pretty disappointed that Sigerson basically just let the player go. Yeah. I mean, I make up your mind. Are we playing in a zone? Are we playing man? In that point, he had no one to pass him off to. What position is he playing? I don't understand. You bring Hamas on to play in front of him, clearly. So and then you drop him deeper, right. where he's even less effective than he is forward. And you take off Tom Davies, who look didn't light the world on fire, but I thought he played somewhat disciplined and at least put himself about and was a little bit disruptive. I mean, maybe Davies lets him go by anyway. But yeah, that's not the point. I mean, look, the sequence is great. You know, Walker. Kicks it over wide. Amarez does like a one-time flick to Gabriel Jesus. It lays it off to Bernardo Silva. And it almost looked like it was a design passing sequence. But again, it's the triangle with Jesus coming over there. And the hesitation's pretty good. And then here's the question, though. Does Pickford, should he made that save? I'm, I, I think I know how you feel. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious your take. Look, it is a really, really hard hit shot. But it's also not that well-placed in that. Like, it wasn't so far in either corner. And he gets a hand to it. Yeah. So it makes you question what's the problem there? Why can't you save it? It was it was a rocket shot. So I understand sometimes you, you just can't do it. But I think if he's a little bit stronger with the wrists, which is something he gets a lot of criticism for. Oh, I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think he gets a lot of benefit. I think he's really strong with the hands, don't you think? I, I think so sometimes. But oh, the hand I, positioning. I these, yeah, the yeah. hand positioning. That's right. That's a critique he always gets. Like his hand, he's strong with the hands, but he's not, his positioning's off. Yeah, and it, it he just didn't hit it cleanly. 
Yeah. Un- unfortunate deflection, but at that point, I'm I'm really not going to criticize Pickford too much this match because I thought he was he played pretty well up until that point, and the one save that he didn't really make that maybe could have didn't end up impacting the final result at all. I thought, f- given the amount of pressure we were under for basically the entire time. I thought he commanded the box pretty well. I mean, he came out and had a couple good punches. He he had a couple good grabs in the air. Uh, distribution left a little bit to be desired, but there was one moment that stuck out strongly to me where he like called a shot. He called out Richie and then put it right on Richie's like chest to to settle down, and we were able to get away on the break. Um, so for a return to the side after a injury and a kind of prolonged appearance a uh, set of appearances by Robin Olson I think that has perhaps lit a fire under Pickford and motivated him to raise his performance levels I thought he was better today but yeah I, I think he probably should make that save in the end yeah I'm not going to get my hopes up on him improving his play but I hope you're <laughs> right uh but the only thing I will give him credit for again he kind of jumped out to his right in anticipation of where the shot might go so you know conversely you can argue maybe he should have saved it because he got his hand on it you know the whole kind of U.S concept of like the wide receiver gets his hand on it he should catch it you know that <laughs> yeah. one yeah, yeah. That was, oh, it's kind of ridiculous honestly but um yeah I, I think in that instance i think he deserves credit for getting over to his right and kind of reading the body language and, and trying to get out there to begin with you know and to his detriment no he didn't save it but you know I th- it's a little harsh to say i mean it was cracked i mean he definitely hit it well <clears throat> uh, but yeah i look I don't think it would have mattered. Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to really look at the the numbers and say this result was anything more than deserved. I mean, look, they had 10 corners. How many did we have? Zilch. Zero, right. 16 shots to 13. I mean, are you kidding me? We didn't have a shot 40, 54th minute on. No, 16 shots to three, Ryan, to three. To three. To yeah. three. What did I say? You said 13. Oh, I did I really? 13 shots. Oh, God, yeah. no, no, to three. <laughs> Gee, I swear it's on the notes right. Uh, yeah, 16 to three. It was not close and not a shot from the 54th minute on. Shows you how great the subs were. Uh, the XG on it on InfoGoal, I think, is more than kind, I think, to us. I feel like it was just a little over one for City and um, well under that for us. Uh, but anyway, look, it, it's... It's a shame. You know, you go to set up with some discipline. I thought we we're kind of all over the place, but you got to give them credit for making it that way too. So um, I don't know. I mean, there were some decent player performances though. And I think, um, I think it's worth kind of waltzing in and we, you know, I sent a tweet out just to see what people thought about it. And it seemed like there was a bit of consensus, I think, and who had a good showing and who didn't. Yeah. So we'll start things off with uh, Callum Lapsley. Like Callum a lot has some uh, some great takes on Twitter. He said, yep. first half, everyone put in a good shift with good shape. We couldn't keep it up. Taking Davies off, taking off Davies still baffles me. I agree. Made yep. no sense to me. Nope. Uh, probably should have kept the defensive structure of Decore and Davies and allowed Hamez to uh, fill in for Siggy. And uh, as far as Tom Davies stats, I mean, fouled a couple times, only had one really bad touch and 70% passing. Not great, but... I still think like in terms of his positioning, putting himself around, I I thought he did an okay job and, and wasn't uh, didn't really cost us a whole lot. I thought at times he maybe was trying a little too hard to get the ball forward when we had no one available. Yeah. But he was showing some courage with the ball and he kind of grew into the game a little bit too. I mean, a a couple of his bad passes were kind of early and they were under pressure, but at least he was attempting to play through that pressure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I taking him off just totally killed any sort of energy we had in the middle and the difference in, Pace and inertia between him and, in essence, dropping Gilfina's space was 
bad. Um, Stark. Stark. Yeah, stark contrast. Um, Danny at Danny underscore EFC6. Yeah, Danny's definitely friends of the show as well. Um, response was, yep, meaning as somebody did play well, Awobi, Davies, Richarlison, all I think played well. Don't think anyone had a particularly bad game, to be honest, mate. Uh, maybe Pickford with electing to punch instead of catch when we then conceded Mares's goal two minutes later, then obviously the third. Yeah, again, I think we're thinking he's being a little harsh, but we're just trying to explore, you know, who played well, who didn't. Um, I, I thought Alex Awobi played well. I, I just, it was just disappointing that we couldn't get him the ball as much, you know? I mean, look, I mean, how many, he didn't make a ton of passes, but 94.7% passing under the pressure that they were dealing with that led the team by a mile. I mean, you're right. Wing should not lead the team in that regard, but it does kind of show that when you break that counter press that you can do some damage. He had one key pass to Siggy that almost killed himself while receiving. Um, he had that lovely little pass where he slipped it into Coleman and look, he was four or six in dribbles. I mean, how many other dribbles did even people attempt on the team? I think Hamas had the only other successful dribble. And so he had four, four of six successful dribbles and four of five of our total dribbles as a team. What baffled oh. me about this game with the Wobi, and I agree, he did he did have a good game. And I thought he looked really good in the opening five, ten minutes, showed some decent ball retention, some some just really clever in his ability to like get out away from pressure yeah. and, and free himself into space. And then we just stopped going to the right for like 15, 20 minutes, and he barely saw the ball. And it's like he's the only guy in that side that's going to be able to to break teams down and take guys on off the dribble. And when we don't have that, we just look very pedestrian and very devoid of ideas. You know, it's another interesting stat, too. Well, we had four tackles tied for the team lead. Seamus Coleman was the other one that had four. So keep in mind, Awobi did it in 68 minutes. The point is, him and Seamus were doing a good job of bottling those guys. That is not an easy thing to ask. You know, both those guys, Kinshello's playing really well, Foden's playing as well as anyone in the league, and Raheem Sterling's on that other side. Those guys deserve a lot of credit, and I'm not saying it's just because it's Awobi, because Seamus Coleman deserves a lot of credit as well, as to Decore. Those guys did a good job of bottling that side. Um, it was the other side that really killed us. So, yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think Alex Wobie played a very good game. And again, him and Davies both got pulled in the 68th. I don't get it. And what about Richarlison? I mean, look, he deserves credit for the goal. I thought his battling with Ruben Diaz, which isn't easy, was good. Um, I, I thought he performed all right, considering how little service he was getting. He was fouled four times. You know what I mean? And and again, he scored the goal. Yeah, I mean, I think him as a, as a lone striker is uh, a bit of a problem, especially against the city side, because he's not really one that I, I think can can necessarily lead the line. When we saw him at, at his most successful in the striker position was in that 4-4-2. Yeah. Robert Lewin alongside him. If we have the ball more, maybe it's okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Because he, he can kind of drop deeper and make it almost more unpredictable. Not too dissimilar to what Gabriel Jesus does, but we haven't played like that in a side in a long time. And he had that one really nice one touch pass out wide uh, to a Wobie when he received oh, yeah. it in the middle. That, was, that was really nice. And you don't really see that type of passing range from him all too often. So encouraging to see. And, and again, he gets on the score sheet. Um, so hopefully that form continues because we desperately need his goals. Uh, let's go over to Nick at a Wobie sexual. Uh, he said, <laughs> individual errors in a very good city side cost us today. Richie Davies, a all played well. Holgate and Luca Dean, all right. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. I think Holgate uh, unexpectedly shifted to center back kind of very early on and had to adjust to that. But that's, of course, his, his preferred position. Um, 
And Luca Dean, look, uh, he was okay. We'll get into the stats shortly, but then we had uh, Kieran Jennings at Kieran J underscore 1979 said individually, a few did well. Coleman Davies will be Richarlison. Agree, 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 agree. Yep. But as a collective did not have enough. And then uh, lastly, we had RuPaul Pogba with a cheeky Pickford thrown in as played well. And I agree. I agree. I know we, we've already kind of run through it, but I think that's he's one of the only people who pointed out Jordan Pickford. And I think people may be a little bit harsh on him. Recency bias with the third goal. At Bosman Jr., always arguing with me about the relevance of post-shot expected goal. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. This will continue on forever. Although I think we both kind of agree upon it. It's just that, you know, it's his thing. Yeah, I thought Godfrey and Holgate were okay. You know, I mean, I, I sent out a tweet kind of being a little critical of Godfrey of not overplaying Mares to his left, but it didn't really cost us too much. And look, like I said, he's a really good player. Holgate stepped up and made some aggressive plays. He got absolutely abused on the one corner headball against Rodri. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was such a joke to see him try and go up against him. In his defense, Rodri's, you know, six four and can really jump. Um, Dean deserves credit for setting up the goal. You know what I mean? That was a good one touch. He had another one touch pass that he totally gaffed today, which was very uncharacteristic. I know he's so good at those really, but look, he only had 14 passes today, 14 passes, 57.1% completion. I think that's the lowest on the team. I think it was not good enough from, from our, basically one of our primary shot creators. It just, you need to get higher volume one of five and crosses. It just, you know, and it's not all his fault. I mean, part of it was tactical, but I just thought that the interplay too on that side was not seamless at times defensively. And so, look, it's it, maybe we're being critical of him because we expect so much of him. But um, yeah, I just think the whole left side was the problem defensively. But it doesn't help when you take Davies out and think that you're going to insert Gilfie Sigurdsson and he's going to suddenly help things. I mean, I just I don't get it, man. But again, don't want to dwell on that too much. Um, Final thoughts, Hamas. Yeah, I, I actually think this is a really interesting point also from uh, at Bossman Jr. As we look back and reflect on this now five-game losing streak at home at Goodison Park, things have gone, I, I think it's safe to say, a bit off the rails from where we were at a few matches ago. This was obviously a, a match I don't think very many people expected us to win, and so I don't think anyone's all that disappointed, but... Here's some numbers to put some context into our performance this season. And so uh, Bossman Jr. says, I think people really overestimate how good this team is based on some really fortunate results. The XG differential when Marco Silva got fired last year was minus 1.5. And before the City game, it was minus 2.9. So a worse XG differential, obviously further along in the season now. So... uh, kind of maybe take that with a grain of salt sample size. But he also goes on to say, we have five very good players, DCL, Richie, James, Allen, and Dean. Very rude to leave a Decore on that list, but uh, neither here nor there. All five have played together only five times this year. We won four and tied one. If we're healthy, we have a chance. But don't let the results fool you. This team is playing like a 10th place team. Your thoughts, Ryan? Well, he is right to an extent. That being said, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial reasons behind that, too. You know, whether it's going up early or whether injuries have forced us to kind of pack it in a little bit and win on smaller margins. Do I think we've been fortunate? Yeah. I mean, I can point to a couple examples where I definitely feel like we have been. But again, you know, one of the problems with XG is that if you don't take a shot, you don't get credit for anything. 
So I, I think some of my bigger, bigger problems, it's not the XG differential, in my opinion. I think the issue is that our inability to sustain and keep the ball in dangerous positions. I think when we're talking about a 10th place team, yes, the XG eventually, you know, kind of works itself out typically. But yeah, I think my biggest issue is the fact that we just don't get that many touches in dangerous areas. And going into this year, you know, we did a pretty monster podcast in the summer where we talked about exactly the things that we need to do. Now, that being said, that being said, he's right. When those guys are healthy, it's a little bit different. I mean, I do think the starting 11 on this team is all right. Um, but again, you, you're just lacking depth. And, uh, you know, some of the substitutes come in and don't quite do it. That being said, that being said, I mean, City wasn't amazing in terms of the sheer volume of good chances they created. They were very clinical. And maybe the scoreline flattered them a little bit, but I can't. But then I look at the peripherals and I'm like, we did get totally dominated. Um, but we chose to play that kind of way. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's, you know, it's hard. The, these things, that's why stats are really interesting, but, but it's just important to understand the context. Yeah. And right. And I mean, look, we've had success kind of setting up with a stout defensive line, looking to frustrate teams and hitting them on the counter quickly. It's been the recurring theme of this season is just when we're healthy, we're good. When we lose one, two, three, four guys from that first 11, there is not nearly enough depth to cover for those massive holes in the side today. I still think we're, we're as admirable of a job as Tom Davies has done. We're desperately missing Allen. We're desperately missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And James wasn't able to play the full 90. So hopefully he'll be fit for the weekend. And, and I think some of these comments we have here at the end of the episode allude to this. Um, so let's get into those before we kind of wrap and maybe have some words on the Derby this weekend. So we had Andy Watt at Watt, a wild world. I don't think much was wrong with team selection or system or performances. City have nearly won a full cycle of games, 17 in a row. We're just the next notch. No shame in that. I did call dropping cigarettes in back. He'd lose his man. They scored. <laughs> Bring an Allen DCL start James in the next game. Have to agree with that. I think that's. Amen, brother. I, I, I do. Uh, moving on to, to James Gardner at J.R. Gardner 91. Honestly, my only complaint is that Siggy was in the side. Nothing wrong with losing to a far superior side. Didn't think we played particularly poorly, plus had a better scoreline against City at home than the red stuff. Uh, <laughs> the reds. The yeah, dirty reds. Them, those people across the park. I mean, I I, I get that. I And we were pragmatic. I, I can't totally argue with the approach, and I agree with them. I mean, I don't understand the, the continued inclusion of, of Sigurdsson in the side. Hope kills. Wow, that's optimistic. <laughs> At American Toffee. <laughs> oh, dang. Come on, man. American um, Toffee with two A's at the beginning. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. A, A, yeah. Where we. Anyway, moving on. Uh, man City plays a different sport than Everton right now. Watching us win possession back and make about five passes backwards before someone hoofed it long to no one every single time was extremely frustrating. But alas, bring on Liverpool. You know, I do think it's worth saying is, as bad as we look today, that doesn't mean that we can't be prepared to play these guys this weekend. And I, I, I think there's some reasons to be optimistic about it. But anyway. Next up, we have uh, the Robert Morrison at the, RS underscore. Morrison. Not Robert Morrison. The, the Robert, the Morrison. Robert the Morrison. Robert Morrison. I don't have to like how good they are. And there's a case to be made that it should have been only been 2-1, but this just goes to show how much work the club has to do to get into contention. It's a long-term project. This makes losing to Fulham and looking awful 
worse. Yeah, I think this does. This is exactly right. Like yep. If we had won against Fulham, no one would even be thinking twice about this loss. You'd say, nope. all right, this already chalk, done and dusted. But those three points, I think, are going to loom large towards the end of the season, as well as the several other fixtures that we've let slip that were very much winnable. But to end on a somewhat positive-ish note, from Paul Meek at Meeker856, was worried it was going to be an annihilation after the Fulham performance. It wasn't, and the first half wasn't too bad. Next game is critical now. So often the Derby is a turning point in our season for the worst. This time we need it to turn us around for the good. And I think that is exactly the right mentality. I don't think any of the players will be satisfied with anything less than three points on Saturday, given the, frankly, just the the cracks that are showing in this Liverpool side. And this is going to be a jinx of all jinxes, but this is a, this is a very beatable team at the moment. I think it really depends on Carlo playing the right guys, though. I keep saying that. So let's assume Alon is healthy. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top, Richarlison left, Awobi right. Yes, people, he has to play in the right. It really matters. Like, we don't have people that can carry the ball. He takes pressure away. We have to. I was very encouraged, actually, at the interplay between Awobi and Coleman today. That's the first time I've seen them play well in a way that Awobi seemed comfortable getting out wide and opening up the half space for Coleman to tuck inside. That is where Sheamus would rather play. I hadn't seen that before. Before, you know, Wobi is a half-space player. Granny's he's a left-sided player, and this year he's playing on the right. But I haven't seen him really push out wide to free open that space for Sheamus. He needs to do that. It also frees up the space for Hamas. We have to start Hamas, in my opinion, not on the right, but in the middle with DeCorey and Alon behind him. We have to. We have to. And in defense, I'm fine with playing the 4-4-2. Put Hamas and DCL up top, and Hamas needs to consider blocking out some of their defensive mids. But the bottom line is, Liverpool is not doing a great job right now, kind of controlling the ball from deep. And I know that's why they got Tiago, but he's not been amazing. And he's not like Naby Keita. He is not that hard to track. James should be able to get on him if he takes the ball deep and tries to break us down if we sit deeper. And we can hit these guys on the counter if Dom's out there. Which one of the center backs is going to boss Dom around? None of them. So to me, I think we can set up right and beat these guys. I mean, it's just a matter of being smart and playing the ball in behind their fullbacks. So we'll be right. Richarlison left and look the bottom line is when those two guys are in there I like our chances in one-on-one battles with the fullbacks even when we have the ball like on a basic throw-in let Awobi box out Robertson and let Richie box out Trent Alexander-Arnold and let Dom occupy the two center backs I think we can play with these guys but man everyone has got to be healthy and he's got to stop playing Gilfie Sigurdsson he just Hannes he has to stop doing it it is so obvious please dear lord tell me do we have some hope this weekend I think I think there's a there's quite a bit to be hopeful about. I think the squad's going to be very motivated to respond to the last couple of poor matches. And I think with the right personnel, it seems like Carlo was very conscientious of the injuries and avoid giving those guys that extra few days of rest to fully return to fitness, give Allen and DCL the chance to recover. Do we think Carlo knows? I mean, you want what I mean is is he I'm not saying he punted today. <laughs> he didn't clearly by the lineup and the setup, but like, do you think he understands truly how important it is to take advantage of these jokers across the park and where there's opportunity? I mean, I, I kind of get that. Like why else sub Davies? Why yeah. sub a Wobie out? I mean, was that conscientious? Maybe I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I do think that there, that is one of the only real explanations that I can 
conjure up for those substitutes is that you want to keep those guys fresh for the weekend. And I think we're going to see probably four or five changes to the side that played today. Um, hopefully for the better, hopefully Sigurdsson draw for Hamas, as you said, I think you, you nailed it with the lineup. I think with that front four creatively, that's the type of side that can really attack Liverpool with venom and pace and break them down. And as you said, they look very vulnerable over the top. Their center halves are not good. And we have matchups that favor us at the moment. Now, it's still been 10 years since we last beat them. So take it with a grain of salt. I'm not going to ever predict a victory in the Derby until I actually see Everton win one. Yeah. That said, this is one of the best opportunities we're going to get since the last best opportunity, which of course was squandered. So the, the issue I have is Mina's out now. So, but yes. that being said, I think that probably does free up Seamus to step right back and right back and put Godfrey in at center half. Although maybe yeah. ops for Holgate. I, I, I don't know. I mean, but you know, look, the bottom line is we know they're danger guys, you know, and I think we're going to have to have courage and be aggressive in matching up against them. But I'll tell you what, man, Dean and Coleman on either side, it's aggressive. But, you know, there's no towering behemoth in there that we have to be worried about if we're playing either Godfrey or Holgate at left center back. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, and Dom's in there, too, to help with corners and stuff like that. I'm hopeful. I'm yeah. optimistic, but I feel like there's no reason necessarily to be. Uh, but I have seen them play recently, and I think I think we can get them. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm kind of hesitantly looking forward to it. I am, too, as well. Um, I, I just think that this is. Uh, the, the weakest they've looked as like a collective unit Klopp starting to cracks in the armor, starting to show, obviously, you know, sad about his his uh mother passing away but i still think like this is a uh very beatable liverpool team they've been dropping points left and right this is not the best team in the world as, as they might uh, once have thought in recent times so i will be just very optimistic and yet tempered in my expectations. So uh, no, 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 this is all part of the plan. So you're missing it. See, Carlo intentionally wanted to lose to man city, uh, make sure they win the league. And those clowns on the other side don't, he's simply setting us up to be Liverpool. I mean, everyone should know that. Come on. So obvious. Carlo playing 4D chess, everyone else playing checkers. I think that is a, a great place to wrap today. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do rate review subscribe on your podcast platform of choice find all of our links to socials and everything else at linktr.ee slash usa toffee pod also as always please check out toffee tv and our show on the channel toffee tv usa we'll be with you guys following the derby hopefully following a glorious victory but otherwise until then and until next time up the toffees <laughs> <laughs>